16 millimeter film crew podcast i'm cindy and i'm dale you can watch us on youtube you can like and comment on our youtube videos and subscribe to our youtube channel you can support us on anchor you can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16 millimeter film crew podcast leave us a rate and review and visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com. So this week, we are reviewing E.T., the extraterrestrial, for its 40th anniversary. Um, here is your synopsis, if you haven't seen it. After a gentle alien becomes stranded on Earth, the being is discovered and befriended by a young boy named Elliot. Bringing the extraterrestrial into his suburban California house, Elliot introduces E.T. as the alien, is dubbed to his brother and little sister, Gertie. And the children decide to keep its existence a secret. Soon, however, E.T. falls ill, resulting in government intervention and a dire situation for both Elliot and the alien. This movie is, of course, directed by Steven Spielberg. The film stars Henry Thomas, Dee Wallace, and Drew Barrymore. So, Dale, tell us about this movie. Have you seen it before? If you haven't, what were your first impressions? Well, it, this was my first time actually watching E.T. I mean, everybody, you kind of grew up seeing clips of it mentioned here and there. We all understand the significance it has in um, Spielberg's uh, portfolio of work. But, you know, it was my first first time uh, watching it. Um, and I want to enjoy it. I enjoy it, but you also have to understand um, our what's the word, our capacity, our our viewing experience of cinema is not the it's not the same as when this movie uh, debuted. So for a lot of people who are now watching this movie now for the first time, it being its 40th anniversary, it's clearly you can see the influence um, this movie left in other major properties. So if you were younger at that time like i was born i guess like six or seven years after this movie came out so i didn't really it wasn't a present in my childhood but for a lot of these directors that are coming out now like this movie this is one of those main movies that sparked their love of film so even though this movie doesn't live up to the standards of today it was highly groundbreaking when it was released yeah i would say it's incredibly groundbreaking like the what they were able to do like with the animatronics and also just with like the effects and stuff like the fact that it was 82 or 81 when they filmed it is really kind of kind of remarkable and kind of how quickly it all came together the fact they were able to pull this off and that it was like the biggest blockbuster since star wars and then like the only thing that kind of i guess outdid it was another one of Steven Spielberg's own movies, Jurassic Park, which is kind of iconic. Again, we've already had our Steven Spielberg episode. You can check that out where we just like, he is a goat. But yeah, it was so good. Like, I just feel like it gave you, it gives me like the wonder and like fantasy and fun, but also like that really heart-wrenching kind of characters and performances that like Stranger Things gives me. And I know that Stranger Things is very heavily based (laughs) heavily based on this movie considering that like most of the things that i was seeing i was like oh i've seen that in stranger things which makes me know that like yes this was very there was a lot of inspiration taken from this movie into that but just like the wonder and the like the fun of like just being a kid and having that nostalgia but it at the time because that's the time it was made. It wasn't nostalgia, I guess, for the people making it. But 
I guess it is, I guess it was to a certain degree for Steven Spielberg because he based it on his imaginary friend that he had when he was a kid. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very good. Yeah, as we mentioned before, we're probably going to end up referring to our Steven Spielberg deep dive that we did. Um, But yeah, um, if you want to go listen to that, you know, go back and go listen. But yeah, it's it's obvious, like, as we mentioned then, like, he was heavily influenced on those, the stuff he grew up with. His, like, like, E.T. was, like, there, him and Lucas, you know, watching Flash Gordon, all those campy, what you would call campy um, serials as children really influenced the projects and stuff because they basically said, I want to create what I grew up watching, which now directors nowadays are copying Steven Spielberg and so mm. they want to recreate stuff they grew up watching. So it's, it's amazing how this industry a lot of times goes full circle, everybody feeding into each other, and it's like almost a perpetual, perpetually moving device. but. Yeah, I, I like, like it's amazing watching like like mentioned Jurassic Park. It's really how fast and the, how beyond amazing we've gone through with technology as far as it was like this. This was groundbreaking. They have the kids on a green screen, like like they're flying. Like when you look at it now, like mm-hmm. oh, you you think oh my gosh, it's like this is so cheap and corny, blah blah. But like the fact that they did this in like nineteen uh, nineteen eighty one. Is mm-hmm. is uh, is amazing because at the time for all these special effects they would just uh use like clear cells and superimpose them onto each other. So the fact like the, the a lot of the blueprints and technical innovation we have in modern cinema starts with with a lot of like Spielberg's cinema work. Yeah, and I think that's so cool. Like imagine that being your legacy, like you creating the stuff that people are now using every day. Like it's a right, it's like standard practice to use that, that kind of stuff, you know, in movies that people are going to see. So I think that's really dope, but yeah, I even think about the scene where they're like trying to help ET phone home and like whatever they were creating was supposed to be like some version of a computer. And I think computers were definitely around, but they weren't like available for everyone. It wasn't, unless you were like, in certain industries you weren't most people didn't have like a computer at their house so i thought yeah. it was like really cool like that was the basis it reminds me again i'm gonna be referencing stranger things a lot sorry it's not my fault it's the duffers but <laughs> yeah when they use the walkie talkies to contact each other because there's no cell phones and stuff like that like i just i love i love those kind of little pieces of like we don't have the technology yet to say that you know we tour to try to do certain things, but this is how theoretically kids would be able to like create something or be able to stay in contact with each other or help their, you know, alien friend. I don't know. It's, I really love this movie because it reminded me a lot of, uh, is it third, third encounters? Third encounters. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is another movie that I love also by Spielberg. Like I think he was saying that that was supposed this was supposed to be like a continuation of that movie in addition with other things, like other things from childhood. But yeah, I just loved, I loved the kids. Like Henry was great. Like the boy he plays, or the man, he's a man now. When he was a boy, when he played Elliot, like just a great performance. Like I just thought he just carried that movie so well. And then Drew Barrymore, just like an actual icon. But also the man who plays Michael, who is the older brother, I really loved his role. And I could just see... 
the Duffers taking so much inspiration from these certain characters where you have Mike, who is the leader, and then you yeah. have the little sister who I would say is like Erica, but like just like not as more sassy involved. as Erica, but like yeah. chill, like chilled and more involved. And then you have Michael, who is like a Jonathan character, a Steve character, you know, these older guys who are like the bigger brothers of the group. Like I just felt I just felt all of that when I was watching it. And it just made me really happy. Like, I don't know when I when you see like E.T. in the basket and they're like riding the bike <laughs> like <laughs> up against the moon and the moon is like in the background like that just does something like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe because you've seen those images so much growing up, but even without watching the movie, I know I've seen all of the, a, a lot of these images, heard a lot of these things, but just watching it, it just felt like very heartwarming and nice. I was like, oh, cute. Like, very cute. I don't, I don't think it's a negative to say when you watch this movie, it reminds us of Stranger Things. I think that was mm -hmm. the whole purpose of Duff and Duffer right. Brothers went for. Um, like for me, Elliot reminded me a lot of like Dustin season two. Like mm. ET is like ET is his demodog. Like he's like he's gonna do everything in his power to protect ET and stuff. But I will say in the eighties, as far as cinema, there is no more powerful or stronger protagonist than a white boy without a father. Watch any eighties movies. White boys and our fathers get shit done. You have this, you have the Goonies, eat like hell, Star Wars, like white boys with no father. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> the greatest superpower in cinematic history. So. Yeah. You can't be the main character without at least one like deceased or absent parent. Yeah. How can you become the main character if, you, if one parent is not, yeah. isn't there? Like you can't. Like it just isn't possible. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah. I really yeah. like this movie a lot. I mean, I, I don't even think it's like, even though I know we're used to a certain level of technology and like visual effects in like blockbuster movies, I don't even think this was like cheesy. Like when I was watching it, I was like, yeah, this is what they were able to do with what they had at the time. And it was still cool. Like I couldn't have done something like that. I don't even know what to think to start to do something like that. Like, so I didn't see it as cheesy or like campy or corny. Like, I guess it can be looked at that or looked in, in that way because like we know what we know what we know. And we also know yeah. when something isn't right, we always call it out. But like, for me, this was just like, yo, this has happened in 81. Like, and then with a very low budget for the money that it made back, like the budget that was spent, I think it was only like $10 million or something like that. And yeah. it made back like 700 plus like so with the budget that they had, like, I feel like they really did stuff like they really they really did. They did it. They did a thing. They served. They came to serve and they served. Yeah, the, the budget they shot for this movie was like 10 million, like, yeah, 10 million dollars. And it made about almost 800 million in box office. And I don't know if that's even and that's not counting the re-releases. Like anniversary and right. stuff like that so this movie if you think about it, if we probably include the real re-release and stuff it might be one of the highest grossing films of all time if you think about it um so but yeah that's that's an amazing feat um mm -hmm. like watching this movie you like i know for a lot of some people listening like this made me realize how long a career Drew Barrymore has had. Like we forget, like she is a she is like a Hollywood stalwart from her grandfather to her whole family up to, up to now. Like she's had a long career, and it and it 
and it had somewhat of a drop off and pitfalls, but it's staying consistent. Like there are very few nowadays. I think only the child star I can think of who's you know had issue like had issues and turned around and reclaimed his stardom at the peak. At his peak is like uh, Robert Downey Jr. Like he's he's now due to Marvel surpassed his original level of fame. But those are the only two I think who can say as like watching all their stuff from children to adulthood like with ups and downs who stayed in the issue. A lot of child stars back in the 80s, like once they hit puberty, they were like thrown out the woodwork. So it's just a testament to her, you know, staying power as an actress to still find work in this day and age. Because we know how Hollywood treats, especially women, as they age in this industry. So. Mm. Like, can we take a moment to talk about the icon that is Drew Barrymore? Like, Drew Barrymore has been so seminal in my life <laughs> growing up. Like, before I even saw E.T., I already knew that she was in it because I think Spielberg is like her godfather or something like that. So like she's she's Hollywood royalty if there ever was one. Like she really is that girl. And like Charlie's Angels, 51st Dates. Like I'm just thinking like, like all of the things that I grew up watching and then all the stuff that she's produced through her own production company. Like... I'm sorry, like, no one's touching Drew Barrymore. Like, she really is that. She's just that woman. Like, she really... And like you said, she had her issues and stuff like that. But I don't know. She... I feel like everyone has seen a movie that she's been in or has seen a movie that she's produced. Like, she's just... She's just too powerful. And now she has her own TV show. Like, the power. The power that is Drew Barrymore. Yeah, I I think looking at her her filmography almost like from 1989 all the way to 2002 uh, 2022 with scream like almost every year or so yes she's had a movie she's had a movie come out in theaters mm-hmm. almost every year she's in a movie like that is like from like the 80s to now that's legitimately unheard of like and especially at the rate at which we turn out movies nowadays it's not the same as old hollywood where movies were kind of this our studio this actor works for us like to, to do that is like amazing so yeah never been kissed yeah <laughs> the list goes on and on goes like on, yeah the list goes on but i also thought the fact i looked up um elliot his kind of um henry thomas's his trajectory because i think i watched a documentary a while ago about like a bunch of kids who had grown up being um child actors and he was in one of the um he did what he did an interview with for that program and he was saying like he stopped acting for a while because i don't know everyone like there was just way too much stuff going on like right after the release of this like it just it rocketed it rocketed him to superstardom and it was just too much but he's been in like the haunting of hill house midnight mass like i think he was in doctor sleep like he's just been doing like a lot of stuff recently like very recently he's been spinning like many of things that have been very popular so it worked out for him like i mean i guess he took the brick that he needed but he's still getting he's still getting a bag and he's still doing things that i know so many people talk about like people love the haunting of hill house this there's a second one i think it's like the Blythe Manor or something something like that i don't know i'm not a horror girly <laughs> i'm like dipping my toe into it but like people love those things so and I've heard nothing but good things about, especially Midnight Mass. Like I've heard so many good things about that show in particular. So listen, he's doing it. Everyone seems like they're doing fine. 
for the most part, from what I know, the children seem like they are, they have done well. Yeah. I mean, the only, I think the only weird part for me watching this movie was, I think, uh, the mother. Like, like I felt, especially the scene, the the scene that got me, like, that kind of, like, pulled me out of the movie and my enjoyment of movie watching was where um, she's talking to the police after um, uh, Elliot's gone missing overnight, Mm. and he's just there behind her the first the whole time. I love She closes the fridge, and her peripherals don't pick up he's there. Her siblings, who look at her, see him and then she sees him look and then she goes oh Elliot I was like baby baby come on you could have you know baby. give me give me give me a little bit more I was like, so yeah but that like, her her character is like I'm like first of all E.T. was like walking around in her kitchen and she would, did not catch him. And I'm like, you don't have perfer- peripheral vision. Like you can see out of the side of your, like this yeah. side of your eye. And you're telling me like you didn't see a little brown thing waddling about. Like, come on, come on. What is going on? She, I was like, why don't y'all know where your children are at? Like these kids were just leaving. <laughs> and I'm like, is this how what it was like to grow up in the 80s? Where you just walk out of your house and like, not come home for a night and your parents would only just be mildly irritated like is that is that yeah. what that looks like i don't know i don't know because I, there's like like the whole i was a i was like a latchkey kid to a degree mm-hmm. parents come home they're at work you're home first you know go into your room whatever whatever but and i know it's a thing but to this level of her obliviousness I was like, that's, that, that's, that's really weird she's there like Halloween she'd been as dark and candles and she decides to go out like from the moment like if I if my parents did the Halloween thing in the moment I come back and my sister come back and one of us don't come back it's a wrap like she she stood there like late I was like come on like yeah you know? so very interesting mm. yeah Parents in these '80s movies are, when it comes to kids, are really, really ab- absentee. At least you know, Stranger Things kind of makes it so. At least all the fr- all the parents know all their kids are in a friend group, so you can assume if kids right. something's weird. Oh, they're staying at the night at this person's house, this person's house. But in these movies, for the most part, like the kids don't really have friends unless it's the Goonies. So Ellie is gone to like God knows when, and she doesn't. She waits until like the dead of night to finally call the cops or, or do something so yeah exactly exactly i was like okay mother something's going on here like i know you just got divorced but like you need someone needs to be watching these kids because not you leave when you're like small child alone at home to go to the principal's office i was like i don't think you're allowed to do that but then i was like you know what it's the 80s maybe they had different roles and it wasn't even that, like, <laughs> not even that. It's like the brothers sent Drew Barrymore on a mission by herself. Right, like, like, <laughs> how old is she supposed to be in this movie? She <laughs> rides off the bike by herself and she's there kicking rocks by herself. I'm like, what? Who? What? <laughs> like, how? Like, how does this happen? <laughs> like, I could understand, like, you go out with Drew and then you double back with enough to, and then get E.T. But just to, like, hey, you're going to leave before us. And you're just gonna ride your bike to this location and pretend. I was like, "What? Who? What?" It's so and, it's, and it's also weird because knowing the the evolution of um, Michael in the short time we see him, like he's the bully big brother, but then when Et comes in, he kind of goes, he turns to a protector. Mm-hmm. 
and tries to at least care for them away. And to the point where he goes off in the in the forest searching like a whole day, getting chased by like secret agents to rescue E.T. The fact is that hey, my little sister, just go ride your bike by yourself mm-hmm. and wait for us. I was like, what? <laughs> that was one of the funniest scenes to me when <laughs> when Elliot's like E.T.'s gone. Like, I don't know where he, he is. We need to find him. The way that the older brother yeeted out of that house, jumped on that bike and was just like, zoom, like right, went straight to go look for him, had me rolling. I was like, yeah. you weren't wasting any time. Like, you, no. you were very quick with that. Like, that made me laugh. Yeah. There were many scenes where I just busted out laughing. Like, when the government people come to their house, like when the NASA person showed up at their door, I said, am I in a dream? Yeah. <laughs> what is this? Rolling. This movie was unintentionally funny, like in some in certain scenes. Like, I don't think they meant for it to be funny in those places, but the way I was rolling. <laughs> well, I think, I think, I think that's due um, because like this was supposed to be a lot more darker, like we mentioned, uh, right. uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. This was supposed to be a pseudo sequel, but much more serious, where the family is terrorized mm. by a group of aliens, and it was too dark. So they kind of combined it and kind of made it more lighthearted. So I think that's why those elements of like those elements in certain scenes are are still there. But then you have you know all those other scenes that they kind of tried to change it and make make it more a bit lighthearted in a way where they you know so i think that's why so mm. yeah. i don't know what i called that movie before it's close encounters of the third kind there is another yeah. movie that has a similar title yeah i got confused close, yes that's the movie that I, I was referencing and that and i love yeah <laughs> don't roast me okay <laughs> um so yeah i think that's great obviously in terms of like the legacy of it it has a very strong legacy we kind of talked about that earlier where it's like multiple people have taken what even created and his team created um and have implemented it into their own styles and their own movies i think there was some controversy about him not i don't want to say stealing the idea but maybe taking heavy inspiration from other things like there was there was a script back in 1967 that was called the alien and Mm -hmm. It was very closely related to this. And apparently Martin Scorsese got into the drama and said it was like, yeah, the script is not authentic or whatever. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But <laughs> if that happened, that's not good. But I will say that maybe it's just, it's just like poetic justice because so many people have like heavily taken from E.T. and implemented in their own stuff recently. So whatever i mean <laughs> are there any original ideas anyways well, I, don't, I don't i don't even think it was that i think though like remember at the time this is 1980s um mm. so in the early 1980s if you think about it there are a plethora of horror movies that kind of are in the same vein you know mm. you have your uh your your Halloween, you have your um, Freddy Krueger, you have all those movies around itself, the same vein. Then you have a lot of these comedic or drama kind of um, alien movies. You have E.T., you have, of course, mentioned Close Encounters for the Third Time, Third Kind. You have Cocoon, like from from 80 to like almost 89. Mm-hmm. Like There are a lot of 
same run of movies in the same vein. So it's, it's, I don't think there's a, I don't honestly, when it comes to creative stuff, I don't think there is, it's really hard to come up with an original thought. Cause I think everybody tries, everybody's kind of like, how I kind of view the creative process in a way is like, it's almost like a pseudo hive mind. Cause you think about the amount of properties that come out that share, like everybody kind of might have, might be inspired by one thing and they all take it into different directions. Like kind of, kind of, Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, there'll be certain similarities, like, oh, like me and you are making an alien movie. Like, I, I might take it this way, you might take it another way, but because we're inspired around the same source material, there are going to be some com- commonalities to it, that kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah, that is true. That is very true. So, okay. I don't know if we want to rate this. I don't think it needs, like, a, maybe not a number, but maybe like how many stars. How many ETs out of, you know, aliens, out of the little other <laughs> aliens that he was separated from, would you give this? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't think, as you said, you kind of can't rate the movie, but I do mm-hmm. think if you're a fan of cinema and you see and you, you're inspired like Joseph, you know, Duffer Brothers. If you like watching stuff from Duffer Brothers, you like watching stuff from, um, I don't know, um, Peter Jackson, you like watching stuff from um, uh, I, I, any kind of modern artist right now who's directing or writing or anything, like as a fan of their work, you should have to go back and watch Steven Spielberg's work. And this is one of those movies I think everybody should watch at least once. You know, yeah, I agree. I thought I watched it because you know, you have the Flisted movies where people talk about it all the time, and then, like, if you don't, if you haven't seen it, it's like weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm happy that I watched it so I can be like, Yeah, mm-hmm. I know exactly where that reference is from, actually, because yeah. I watched the movie. <laughs> yes, I mean, I'm <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> No, I'm saying it's not like we're talking about, oh, you have to go watch all these classic French New Wave, uh, right. Chifo. You don't, we're not talking about, you know, those deep cinematic cuts, you know. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. have to go back and watch you watch Hickok's entire catalog, uh, Stanley Kubrick. We're not saying that. We're just saying, you know, take time and watch, like, some of these cinema classics to get appreciation from where modern cinema gets a lot of its influence from you know we're not making like, yeah. a deep cut director which nobody's ever heard of for like 30 past years you know right that's true yes i'm giving it four out of um five basket rides through the <laughs> golden hour sunset like and that's what i'm giving it i love that shot five. that shot was so good 5 pmx sparks in the sky <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm giving it the same. <laughs> yes. Like, it, like yes. it's it's a good nostalgia. Tri- I can't even say it's nostalgia because I haven't watched it, but it's it's my first time watching. It. But it's it's good to always look back on films like this and still be entertained. And yeah, we've picked out some inconsistencies and questionable things, but you're gonna you're gonna deal with every every project. So, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Moving on to the box office news. It's kind of a, a slowish weekend. Um, the only major movie to release technically was Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. 
Every time I hear that title, I think of the scene from um, Snowfall, or where the they were the actors going him, him, her, her bodies, bodies, body. Anyway, so but yeah, so this is honestly, even though the movie kind of did a soft release the week before, to about I want to say, um, small a small viewing of about. I want to say like 10 or so theaters, really small, limited feeling. This was its um, kind of nationwide release. Um, it went out to um, about 100, 100, 1,284 uh, extra theaters uh, this week in comparison to last week of going out to just about six. So, um, yeah, it made. It's it's gonna be big because I think this weekend is kind of a dead spot when it comes to uh films coming out. Uh the only other you had um you have a lot of movies. Uh this was filmed around COVID, I guess, like peak pandemic. So you had a lot of other movies that are coming out um on streaming platforms, like Man from Toronto, Shotgun Wedding, they're on streaming platforms. Um, and this is kind of being pigeonholed in a soft spot. We just had Bullet Train. It's kind of the last big summer movie. Um, you got, and then also Thor: Love and Thunder. But you don't get Avatar or Black Adam until September, October. The you know, other, only other big name movie there potentially coming out in the coming weeks is Beast. And then you have Barbarian coming out in September. Then you have uh, Salem, which is a Stephen King, not coming back till April. And then you also have John Boyega breaking coming out at the end of this month so this was kind of the perfect week for uh bodies 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 because it's not really competing against everything so hopefully as the the days and months do go on that should probably increase in rankings but as of now it kind of it did release at um not say release because even though it was in six theaters last weekend i don't count that as a major release um so to me it released to like eight uh, came in at number eight for the weekend. Um, number one is a Lion Gates feature. No, number one, number ten is a Lion Gates feature called Fall, about two best friends who find themselves atop a two thousand foot radio tower. It opened up to a hundred, um, one thousand five hundred theaters. Um, at number nine, uh, losing pace, uh, out from about two hundred theaters is Elvis. Um, of course, bodies, 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 which went from 16 from being only in six theaters to uh, now what is nationwide release back to number eight uh where the crowd is singing at seven minions ride a group at six uh nope goes from three to five or love and thunder holding city at four dc super bets at three top gun maverick had the biggest jump of any movie for the weekend last week was at number six this weekend is at number um two on once again it's been in theaters for like 12 weeks so it's past that two month <laughs> two months window so any movie that has a staying power beyond two months is um is incredible and of course as we spoke about uh last week bullet train health steady at number one um internationally um for long with thunder is not gaining steam in a lot of the european countries um except for austria where the number one movie is there is number one movie there is nope Estonia has nope. South Korea also has Love and Thunder as a number one movie. Um, in places like Brazil, Taiwan, Israel, Argentina, and Belgium, Minions Rise of Grood, um, Beast, which I mentioned earlier, um, is coming out for us later. 
but it debuted in Saudi Arabia and um, the United Emirates. They're both in the more movies there. Um, Germany, Rise of Groot, the UK Bullet Train, nope in Australia, Bullet Train, also in France and Mexico, and Japan, Jurassic World, Domin- Dominion Holes, Dominion, there. So, yeah. Okay, so in our first news story, the Golden Globes are coming back in 2023. So, yay. yay. The awards <laughs> didn't air this year um, because of some issues. We'll get into that in a sec. So, after a year off the air, the Golden Globes Awards will be back on NBC in 2023. And the Hollywood Foreign Press Association has um, come under a lot of fire. They came under a lot of fire in 2021 because the Los Angeles Times revealed that um, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association had zero Black people amongst its 87 members and had engaged in unethical conduct and suspect financial practices. So now it seems like they're coming back after they've made some I guess, substantial changes within their um, organization. And they are planning to air on Tuesday, January 10th. The Globes have historically taken place on Sunday, on the first Sunday of January, but that's New Year's Day for next year. And then January 8th is the NFL's regular, it's the last day of the NFL's regular season. And so the third January, I mean, third Sunday in January will be the Critics' Choice Awards. Um, they had some issues last year with having it on the same day, but that's not going to happen this this time around because they're going to move it to Tuesday. And so people are like skeptical about like if it's going to work, if people are even going to want to show up, if anyone even cares <laughs> about the Globes anymore in terms of like having actors you know, come to present or even be nominated? Like, will it matter? We don't know. So it's it's very, it's very up in the air about how people feel about it, but NBC has taken it back. So. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird why they decide to pick that date because the new CEO does have a history and background in sports. But also, which is funny, this is a Hollywood Reporter article, which kind mm-hmm. of disclosed his financial stake in um, Kane International, which also has interest in the Beverly Hilton Hotel, which hosts the Golden Globes, which also is, um, and he also has financial stake, funny enough, in Hollywood Reporter, which uh, posted this article, kind of describing, it's, it's kind of kind of weird that he's really like he he's wants to go up against NFL in a in a in, I don't know why he decided to do that. NFL is like the biggest money maker when it comes to sports in the US. So but because he has a interest, a financial interest in the hotel, which hosts the Golden Globes, that's also at the back of his mind as well. So we'll see. It seems like the Golden Globes nowadays can't avoid controversy. Either it's a lack of diversity with it or having a CEO who also makes money from the venue that hosts the event. So, yeah. Mm. I well, don't... I don't. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it didn't air last... I mean, this year, and I don't think anyone even noticed. So... Yeah. 
again, the relevance of it is a question. Yeah. It's it's one of those that lost its luster, especially considering how you know the experts they kind of revealed the whole process of how people get nominated and due to that influence of being nominated that way, it kind of does influence on in how you win. It's it's not one of those awards that you know. I think award shows. Like, I think the only one I kind of am okay with is SAG Awards because it's actors and all those people who actually do stuff voting on each other because. As I've seen a lot of time when Oscar after Oscars finish when people are talking about oh movies and stuff and it becomes revealed like a lot of people who vote for these movies haven't even watched it. They just see a post and go, Oh, okay, I guess. Like they're voting so yeah, I don't really see the validity in a lot of these award shows to a degree anymore. Like last year we had Dune win almost every major technical award, every not even technical, almost every major category, but not win Best Picture. So usually, usually if a film continually wins all those key filmmaking categories, that means the consensus should be if if I win all those categories, you should you would think that this probably is the best picture, but yeah, award shows have like really like I think lost the lost luster they've had, you know, due to all the yeah. co- controversies and inconsistencies around it. <laughs> yep, and people are just like. We don't care. And so it's like, well, if no one really cares, then, but it still has validity. It's still confusing. It's still, it's still make, make or break your career. Yeah. Just to get nominated as like an extra 10, $10 million. Right. So, yeah. Um, so I know a couple weeks ago we did speak about Mar, not Marvel, but DC and Warner Brothers and all the issues. But now is, you know, Warner Brothers still kind of scratching their heads. I think the overall linchpin in Warner Brothers cinematic release has to be Ezra Miller and The Flash. Um, so, of course, he made his debut, which is funny, as a troubled teen. And can we talk about Kevin? And, of course, being a volatile young person. It's a young person. I think Kevin Miller's about older than me. But as a volatile youth, I should say, in Perks of Being Wallflower, um, so I guess those those roles kind of evolved into him being him, but the timeline of his issues. Um, he have April uh two April two thousand. Um, I must April twenty twenty. A, a video goes online of him choking a fan outside of a bar. Then you have August twenty twenty. Um, he goes to Fandom, and um, he. Kind of goes, I'll see you in theaters uh, next year. He kind of leaked, I guess, uh, Michael Keaton in it, in a way. Um, January 2022, he he delivers a cryptic message, talking to about the Kula Klan, saying that should kill himself. You have March of this year. Um, we're in Hawaii, where he gets called for obstructing the highway. And then later in that month, he's yelling up obscenities at people in a karaoke bar. And then the next day, he gets a temporary restraining order because he burst into somebody's um, bedroom, threatening to kill them. Also in Hawaii in April, um, he becomes irate and throws a chair at somebody. Um, he somehow, I don't, I'm not sure if it was in Fantastic Beasts. I didn't watch that. Um, then he had June of this year, uh, an indigenous um, 
young woman, her parents come forward and be kind of say that she's being held against her will by Ezra. We had this August or recently that he's like this month he's been charged with felony burglary in Vermont, where he lives. So, yeah, um, I don't know. There's a lot of tumultuous stuff in like a really short two year span, you know, of in in production of the movie and then post production. Like, like, how do you get into this much trouble during the film of the movie and get into this much trouble after the movie? So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So, all of his issues are probably the big, probably have caused a lot of Warner Brothers issues as far as their release schedule due to Ezra's behavior. So, yeah. And people are asking, like, well, people are actually upset about the fact that they canceled the Batgirl movie, but this move, but the Flash still seems to be like, at least a consideration that the people at Warner Brothers are making. Um, it is a possibility that they could release it and just have him not do any press at all and just release the movie and then see what happens. Um, I don't think they're going to scrap it. I mean, they could. I said, I, I read an article that said that like it's a possibility that they scrap the movie, but part of me feels like they're not going to do that. I think what they want is for Ezra Miller to just like apologize and like go on like a little apology tour and then they can release the movie as it is. But I also feel like they're, they're, they've been waiting for a long time for this stuff to go away and it hasn't. Things have just continued to escalate. And my fear is that something is really bad is going to happen. Like, I don't know, someone might die. Like that's kind of where I feel like this is, this train is heading because it's like, he's been charged with all this stuff, but like, he's still not been put into city so it's yeah. like he's still out here i mean sorry i keep misgendering them they are still, still out there. here yeah. wandering doing all kinds of nonsense so i don't know what it's gonna take for the people at wonder brothers to actually do something about this like like what are you gonna do like Next summer isn't that far away from when this movie is supposed to be released. So you got to make some decisions here. Um, and I don't think Ezra is, I don't think that's going to, that is, doesn't seem like a, a problem that's going to go away anytime soon. So. Yeah. yeah. He's, and he's their linchpin in their, he's their linchpin in their cinematic universe. He's kind of, because Warner Brothers said they're going to go ahead and revamp it using the flashes through power so they can handle all their their casting issues and recast people and get a restart so if, if he, that movie doesn't release that doesn't happen i will reiterate this we said it last week if this was a black actor you know we wouldn't I mean, be having the discussion it, it, yeah it wouldn't this yeah, it, the, it wouldn't the, have the gotten open, this far yeah the open-ended of this wouldn't have wouldn't have happened it would have been right there nipped in the bud either he either you know you get your shit together or or you know they'd find some kind of contractual way for them not to get their money or get back their money or whatever or he'd be blackballed from the industry or whatever you know if we like yeah so 
Yeah, we will see. This is a saga that has not ended yet and didn't seem like it's ending. Okay, in other news, Viola Davis is joining the Hunger Games prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. She will play Dr. Voluma Nagal, the head game maker of the 10th annual Hunger Games. And she's joining Tom Blith, who will play young Cornelius Snow, Rachel Ziegler, Peter Dinklage, Andreas Rivera. Oh, sorry. Josh Andreas Rivera and Hunter Schaefer. So I don't know anything about this book. I don't know anything about these characters, but I do know that um, the Hunger Games had me in a chokehold when I was in high school. So I'm going to watch whatever this is. <laughs> and adding Viola Davis is just like another reason for me to be interested. And she's playing a villain. She played a villain in the Suicide Squad and I did not like that. I didn't like the character and also didn't like the movie. I felt like her talents were wasted there. But yeah. This feels like a better this was like a better um franchise, an established franchise. If you look back at the Hunger Games, there were a lot of amazing actors who played um characters in those movies, Julianne Moore, um Hoffman. <laughs> His name, I'm blaming I'm blanking on the first name. Give it to me. Give it to me. Woody Harrelson? Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman. There we go. Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. Oop, got it. Woody Harrelson, like just amazing actors. Marshall Ali, like there was like amazing actors in that movie, in that throughout the series. So yeah. I'm very happy to see that revamped. We're getting some. I don't know when it's coming out, when they're starting to shoot it, but I'm on board. Yeah, you're you're right about her. Like her, like which is weird because if you've like read. Suicide Squad. I watched the DC cartoons. Amanda Waller. She's not just an asshole. I don't want to use all the word because offense to women, but she's not. That's not her. Her. She's not that angry person all the time in the comics or in the animated media. She's kind of like you know those when you watch like Hannibal or so that she's one of those kind of people where she's not going to yell. She's just gonna you know she has a way about it but in this this suicide squad or dc cinematic version she's just yelling at everybody the whole time you know she's not not as level like honestly the portrayal of how she should be in the movie should be kind of like um what um giancarlo espinito did in the boys as the ceo he's still evil but he's not yelling and screaming there's kind of like a subtlety to it um yeah i I I watched this Hunger Games. I can't say grew up with it. I did watch it. I mean, I was like, it's alright, it's cool. Still think Jennifer Lawrence can't act, so that's probably what made it not as enjoyable for me. But yeah, I'll probably still watch it. Watch this new version too. Um, but and to wrap up the new segment, a coalition of one thousand four hundred five showrunners and directors raised two point five million. To help with making access to abortions while calling studios to step up. Um, the list of people it mentioned in that includes Shonda Rhimes, Ava DuVernay, uh, JJ Abrams, Mindy Kalin, Judd Apatow, um, Damon Lindoff, Jesse Williams, Dana Fox, a lot of actors. You know, Shonda, Shonda Rhimes tweeted earlier today saying, Help us raise uh, five million for this vital work. Um, um, and they also sent letters to um. 
the Amazon Studios, Apple TV, NBC Universal, Netflix, Paramount, Walt Disney, Warner Brothers Discovery, and AMC Networks expects their gave concerns about the company's lack, lack of specific production quota protocols, especially considering there are a lot of um, women who work on these sets who predominantly now a lot of these movies are filmed in the South due to tax breaks, Georgia in particular, which is kind of the hub for Marvel and a lot of um, CW and some Netflix shows that film here a lot of their tax breaks. And a lot of these movies do film in states where, you know, abortions are kind of outright banned and stuff like that. Um, I will say I'm happy that they're stepping forward in this way, but it feels like a bit of a show because it's about a thousand Oh, 1,500 showrunners, directors, and all you could get, all you could humanly come up with is $2.5 million. Like, that number seems so minuscule to the amount of million millionaires in that group. You know, these are producers, mm-hmm. directors, showrunners, writers, actors, directors, and all you could somehow organize of about 2,000 views, $2.5 million. I mean, come on. I understand that part of you donation for donating this stuff you get tax write-offs and stuff but y'all could give a lot more. if this is something you're really concerned about beyond just the financial kickback you'll get on taxes you could give a lot more you know hmm. so i mean i guess they could be also donating to other organizations it's true but yeah i mean i we appreciate you know we appreciate all of the help that we can get. Um, I think that, I don't know, it's, for me, it's like, there are certain states that are like safe havens for women to get abortions in. California is one of them. They, it, it has been very outspoken about protecting women's rights in that state. So I guess it's more to the states that are being very restrictive over those um, rights that really need the money and the help and more of the influence. Um, so I think the money is great. I think actually calling out these bigger corporations who are in these states used um, for their, you know, producing these shows and films, that's more important because like those, are, those people are like the people in those states who are working with those individuals who live there um, who will definitely be affected by this decision. So. That's the, that's the part that I'm focusing on. I'm not really going to focus on the money part because <laughs> yes, that's money true. is important, but getting these corporations to really step up is actually, I feel more, the more important part of what they're doing. And I applaud them for doing it overall. Yeah. So. Okay. So what did you watch this week, Dale? Um, I know you mentioned you're on your Game of Thrones you watched last week in preparation for their prequel show. I'm on my Lord of the Rings cinematic rewatch, mm-hmm. partly because every time I've had an opportunity to watch these movies, I've like fell asleep or I don't remember anything about these movies at all. Same. I remember one year I was on an internship and we decided to like watch Lord of the Rings. And I remember, like, I don't even know where, but I know I fell asleep. I can't tell you <laughs> anything about the movie beyond, like, social media clips and, like, Orlando Bloom in the movie. And, like, I can't tell you anything about the movie except for, like, the actors, Ian McKellen, and so that 
I can't tell you nothing. Like every time some for some reason I'm trying to actually sit down and watch watch the movie for some reason I just goes in my head and just into the ether or I fall asleep. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm actually gonna try make a concerted effort in, you know, watching it. But because I'm watching it at my own pace, I can like space it. I can do it like a Netflix show, like because these movies are like three hours long for each movie. You know, I can say, all right, I'm gonna watch an hour, pause it, mm-hmm. and pick up the next episode mm-hmm. at a at a later date. So yeah. Yeah, same thing. I think I tried to watch it and I fell asleep. Yeah. For that and for the Hobbit, asleep. Yeah. But I do remember some parts of the Hobbit, but I don't remember anything of the Lord. Never. Um, I've been watching. Yep, still watching Game of Thrones. Um, at season four now, so I'm not gonna finish it before um House of Dragon comes out. But that's okay because I can watch that show and then I can go back and watch Game of Thrones. And I'm really enjoying it. Um, but I finished Severance. Severance on Apple TV with um. It's directed, and I think the showrunner is um, Ben Stiller, who I know has directed other things so far, but I think this is like my favorite thing that I think he's done so far. Adam Scott, the best I've ever seen him act like. This is this show is so good. My best friend put me onto it, and we've been watching it together. It's just so good. Like, the production, the characters, the story, like... Everything is just so good. The twist, like, it's just, it's a great show. I understand why it's nominated for like a bunch of Emmys. I get it now. It's awesome. Like when I heard Adam describe it in interviews right before it came out, I was like, what is this? I don't think I'm gonna watch it. But like after seeing it, a great show, a great show. Um, And then I watched The Princess, which is an HBO um, documentary on Princess Diana. And I think it came out, I want to say it came out, like, I think it came out in Tribeca, like, maybe last year. I came out with one of these festivals earlier this year or late last year. And I was so excited for it. And it's really just archival footage that tells you her story from, like, the day she was, like, announced as Prince Charles' girlfriend to the day she died um, and her funeral. And I've never, and I've seen a bunch of, Diana documentaries but this one was really unique because there weren't people being interviewed for it like it wasn't like a sit like we'll show you footage and then someone will like explain their thoughts on how this played out it's just archival footage the whole way through and so the story is really in the editing and you can see what it's like I guess the main perspective of like the media and the people's interaction with Diana versus like people who just comment or family members or whatever like it's just that perspective and it was really chilling actually because when you don't have someone narrating something basically you are the like determiner or the determinant of like how the story plays out and how you feel about it and I found that very um very like powerful in just terms of like they're just gonna show you what it is and you have to decide like how you feel about it and it was very chilling because it was just the way she was treated by the media is super gross but also you can see that same parallel between what happened with her and what happened with Meghan Markle like it's just very it's very similar in how like yeah so if you watch The Crown you kind of know but yeah it's it was such an interesting way to to to, to um, 
look at her story that's been told so many times. I thought it was a really interesting kind of take on it. So watch if you want it's on HBO Max. <laughs> so yeah. Like I'm, I'm, there's a David Bowie movie. That I'm I watching that. Oh, I'm in that can, theater. Not, like a Moon Age Dream. Um, it's you talking about Diana made me remember the, the Bowie movie. I can't wait. I can't, I can't wait. For that. Like wait. the moment that you know going to I'm the theater. There. You know, I'm there. Hearing about it in the cans and going to the theater and seeing the trailer for it, I was like, yes, I'm, I'm definitely watching it. So when this movie drops um, on NHBO Max, like, don't don't disturb me. I'm probably going to watch it twice mm-hmm. <laughs> from in the first 24 hours of watching it. I can't wait for that. Like, that is one of my most anticipated movies of this year. Like, I love that man so much. Anyways, that's all we have for you guys this week. Um... We hope that you take care of yourselves and having a great week and make sure to check out all of our social media, follow us on Letterboxd, support us if you can, and we will see you guys in the next episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.